Hey there, creatives. Thanks so much for your continued listenership. Uh, We really appreciate um, you listening each week, especially after we had such a long hiatus over the summer and it was a well-needed break. Um, But I'm so happy to be back to podcasting and interviewing and sharing these wonderful conversations that I'm having with therapists from all over. And um, today I am super excited to share with this episode with you, which is another from the Voices from the Expressive Therapies Summit series. Um, The summit is going to be taking place um, all month long in November. Um, Some of the sessions will be virtually, and then um, there will be a week um, in the middle of the month where the uh, event will be taking place in person in Atlantic City at the Tropicana. And uh, if you do attend that, please know that the event itself and the proceedings that will be going on will be held in a separate tower. So there will be some privacy and space, lots of space for people to feel comfortable gathering together in a group. Um, And there will be opportunities for sessions outside on the beach, weather permitting. Of course, it's November, so it could be a little bit chilly, but probably quite refreshing. And um, today's episode is an interview that I had with Dr. Lorraine Friedel. Um, And I really think that you're going to enjoy this. I know I just love speaking with her. She's so kind and genuine and her love of the work that she does shines through. And, um, and I hope that you pick that up as well. If you listen to the end, she also um, will share with you a link uh, to uh, watch a documentary film that she created um, back in 2018 in um, in her uh, area of Hawaii after um, the Kilauea volcano uh, erupted and people were displaced and struggling. And um, so the documentary is about the use of sand play therapy in response to that natural disaster. And I highly encourage you to check it out. It's really wonderful. Um, And if you want to learn uh, more from Dr. Friedel, she is going to be presenting virtually at the conference um, event this year. And she has two distinct sessions. One is going to be with a panel of colleagues that they're all coming together to present different um, ways that sand, sand tray and sand play therapists work, different approaches. And that's going to be on Saturday, November 13th, uh, 2021 um, at 10 a.m., and it's called a primer of sand play, sand tray, and sand in therapy, comparing clinical approaches and competencies. Um, and then she will be presenting virtually on her own at the end of the month, uh, Sunday, November 12th. It's an all-day um, an all-day workshop on Jungian sand play therapy for expressive therapists, an introduction to theory and practice. And so that will be really amazing. If you want to learn more from her, uh, definitely head over to the Summit website and check out um, what she's going to be teaching on. And of course, because she's teaching virtually, you could sign up and attend from wherever wherever you are in in the world. Um, And so that website is summit.expressivemedia.org. And I hope you enjoy this conversation that I had with Dr. Friedel. I know I really enjoyed speaking with her. The Creative Psychotherapist is the official podcast of the Creative Clinician's Corner, a practice-building resource for creative psychotherapists. TCP Podcast is the cast for creative, expressive, and experiential-focused psychotherapists curious to learn how to design, build, and scale a thriving private practice. 
Your host, Raina Lombardi, interviews successful therapists about the tools and strategies they have used to develop creative, focused practices. They also talk about the products, services, and side hustles they have developed, using their knowledge and creativity to enhance their therapy practices, make a greater impact in their communities, and diversify their income streams. Welcome. Now here's your host, Raina Lombardi. Thanks so much for listening to the Creative Psychotherapist Podcast. I'm your host, Raina Lombardi, and I am extremely uh, excited to welcome my next guest. Uh, Her name is Dr. Lorraine Friedel, and she is a neuropsychologist, an international teacher, researcher, and expressive arts therapist. Her specialty is in Jungian Sanflay therapy, and she is a trainer in the Neurosequential Model of Therapeutics and teaching member of the Sanflay Therapists of America and the International Society for Sanflay Therapy. She is on the faculty at Southwestern College in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and the Trauma Research Foundation in Brookline, Massachusetts. Dr. Friedel has authored numerous publications in the area of neuropsychology, trauma, and sand play therapy, and is an award-winning researcher for her studies of sand play with adults with traumatic brain injury and young people with co-occurring trauma and addiction. After leading a disaster relief team that brought sand play therapy to people displaced by the 2018 eruption of Kilauea Volcano on Hawaii Island, she co-produced and directed the acclaimed documentary film Fire and Sand. Dr. Friedel currently serves as the president of the Sand Play Therapists of America and research editor for the Journal of Sand Play Therapy. She has been a clinical administrator for several organizations that provide integrative behavioral health care for over 30 years. She has mentored hundreds of early career therapists into independent practice. And she has a private practice, um, Black Sand Neuropsychological Services in Hilo, Hawaii. Welcome, Dr. Friedel. Thank you so much for being here today. Pleasure. Thank you. So let's jump right in. Obviously, you have, um, you were in school a really long time. What came first for you? Um, Learning about sand play? uh, Did that come before your training as a neuropsychologist or during, after? How did you find um, that particular modality? Well, yes, I found uh, sand play fresh out of graduate school um, as an early career therapist. I actually went to school first for clinical social work uh, before uh, 12 years later went back for neuropsychology for my doctorate. But for, for 12 years, practiced as a clinical social worker and, and discovered sand play. Uh, my first job as a therapist, uh, we had an art therapist who was embedded in our program to help us learn expressive arts therapy, which I am just indebted to. Uh, It was an amazing experience. So she met with us monthly, we did full day trainings, and then she also supervised us with our clients. And that's amazing. Yes, isn't it amazing that our organization uh, in Hawaii allowed this and and made this possible for us. And, And actually over the past 30 years, I in turn have done this for the organizations that I've been a part of so that uh, to pay that forward. Uh, and so I have an art and sand play training that I've been doing for many years called Empowerment and Transformation. And mm. so uh, the therapists get together monthly and like I went through this, um, I share it with them now. Uh, and so they can look at their own uh, issues as well as learn dirt, certain techniques and art and sand play to carry forward with their clients. And it has a, a way of bonding the group. You know, when you go through this experience mm-hmm. together, I've since added a real Jungian approach to this. And so together, this group of therapists goes through a um, training process that's modeled after the individuation journey uh, by mm-hmm. Carl Jung. So, you know, we get grounded, we go into our shadow, we, you know, trust the mysteries of the process and so on and so forth. Um, and hopefully find some authentic aspects about ourselves uh, in the process. Um, 
But yeah, so she brought Sam play to her name was Beth Stone and she brought Sam play to my training when I was, you know, just starting out. And uh, she had us bring like plastic trays and knickknacks and miniatures from home and things from our kids' toy boxes, you know, all in miniature. We got sand from the beach because we're in Hawaii. And so while she was talking about sand play, I was putting my hand in the sand. And so as soon as she asked for a volunteer, I said, me, I, I'd love to try it. And it changed my life. I just with these miniatures that we all, you know, a group of maybe 10 of us brought from home, I was able to arrange them in this tray and look at this picture I made and learn about myself and things that were hidden from me. Mm -hmm. um, and so I made some big decisions based on that tray. And, and ever since then, it's just been a very uh, constant companion for me, Sam Play Therapy, and um, just wanted to learn everything I could about it. And so I started, I was what, 22 at the time, 23. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's amazing. I, I think, gosh, such good fortune to have such a, a great um, clinical program that values training their therapists in that very intense way and exposing them to um, all of these different approaches and methods. Uh, I, I think, gosh, if all agencies were doing that, we would be in such a phenomenal place. Absolutely. Yeah, that's when people need it the most. Some of the early career therapists are the ones getting the most difficult cases in nonprofit arenas and, um, and need mentorship and support mm -hmm. and extra training. Uh, and so it's a wonderful time to pass on training uh, and yeah, to get involved in a way that really makes a difference. Mm -hmm. And so after you started um, learning about uh, sand play there. Um, what what was your next step? Did you um, did you go on to take more um, official Jungian um, sand play uh, you know studies? Did you go back for your doctorate and then do that? What was your kind of natural progression? So the next thing I did, and, and with uh, to develop competency in sand play therapy, you do your own personal work, but then you also get uh, postgraduate training uh, from people that are sand play teachers. And because this art therapist wasn't a specialist in sand play, she encouraged me to find mentors if this was a particular thing that I was interested. And so I did. I called people up and. Um, you know, those at that time, they invited people to Hawaii to present. And I went to those and joined the Hawaii sample group and just did it every chance I could. Um, the students that I worked with at the group home at the time was where I was working. And these young people, um, I was able to start a small collection, a very humble collection. I always show people it was just three shelves and, um, you know, a, a litter box at the time was all I had. And, uh, and yet it was magical. And mm -hmm. so because I was very attached to the miniatures, I had collected them myself. They represented at least a range of things from nature and the, the things you're supposed to collect for sand play. And so, yeah, I did it with my, my students there at the group home and, uh, and went from there uh, to, to learn more. Beautiful, beautiful. And um, so at what point did you decide, okay, um, I've been doing this for a while and um, obviously doing great work. At what point did you decide, I'm ready to take a step out of kind of the safety and container of the agency and kind of try things on your own and kind of what was your, what's your journey um, into your own work, you know, your own entrepreneurial work? Uh, what was that like? You know, so as I learned more about it, my husband and I actually moved to New Mexico where we raised our children. And uh, when I got to New Mexico, that's when I started my private practice in addition to some agency-based uh, work. And uh, together I could, you know, see people for sand play both privately, but also at the agency. Uh, and I was able to start teaching and doing research and those kinds of things, uh, which was really a passion of mine. I 
I learned early on in this whole push for evidence-based practices that expressive arts and, and sound play therapy in particular at that time, this was in the 90s, uh, wasn't getting the uh, credibility. You know, it just mm -hmm. wasn't seen as a credible modality. And, and many organizations had pressure to write grants and show that they were doing evidence-based practices in order to get funding. And so it was a vicious loop because there wasn't enough research in sample. And yet at the same time, I knew from my experience that it was effective. And I think this is a, a problem, a dilemma that we, we often face is some of these depth-oriented therapies with Eastern influences and mindfulness. Mm -hmm. they, back then they weren't getting the kind of attention that manualized cognitive kinds of therapies were getting. And so I set a personal intention to do research as well in the modality um, and went back to school at that point. This was 12 years later um, for my neuropsych uh, degree. Um, because I was very interested in what was happening in the brain when people mm -hmm. were engaged with, with their senses and their imagination and their creative side. You know, it, it seemed like such an expansive uh, experience for people uh, and that I, I wanted to learn more about that, that specifically. I love that. I am fascinated by the brain. I, I, I would love to have integrated those kinds of studies um, earlier on. I don't think I'll be going back to school, but I'm constantly like reading and studying up on um, anything related to neuropsychology so that I can better understand the brain and help explain that what's going on to clients so that they have a normative experience and understand that th this isn't you as like the person, this is, this is part of your biology that is leading you into this, you know, pattern or, or habit or, you know, whatever. And, and then we can look at it from a different context. Um, I'm wondering, oh, sorry. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, by giving people this opportunity to understand what's happening and then a solution of their own making. You know, I think that's what expressive arts and Sam play does is it provides people an opportunity to create and then to get feedback about what they experienced, what's going on in their inner world. And it's sitting in a three-dimensional form in front of them and, in, mm -hmm. and can inform their decisions. And I, I think so often therapy is about, you know, coping skills and things like that. And that, that's important. Um, but without that inner direction and, and, and the depth of understanding of, of what it is that people want in terms of meaning and purpose in their life, sometimes just coping isn't enough for people. They want to go deeper and, uh, and have a meaningful experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. I think the older I get, the more, the more drawn into the existential aspects of the work I become because they're so relevant. Um, and even with our youngest of clients, they're still relevant. Um, and, you know, I, yeah, there's, there's that spiritual component that you can't quite um, uh, quantify in the work, but you know that it's there and that that is providing a healing experience for the person. Yes, I absolutely. And I think therapists who study the, the depth work and expressive arts, you know, they see these, these mysteries unfolding and you really have to trust the client and their process. And together you're on a journey uh, and you see this unfolding right before your eyes. And I think my research uh, in graduate school, uh, you know, with the, the traumatic brain injured folks, you know, I was able to do this research, very intensive look at the sample processes of individuals that had suffered uh, traumatic brain injury. And to be able to see what I was reading about, you know, I was reading about how when we give of ourselves to a process of change, we will enter a almost predictable pattern of change. And it's hard work, um, but our psyche is much like our physical system. You know, physically, if we get uh, you know, cut on our finger, right? It's going to go through a process of, of healing if our immune system's intact, no matter who we are. It's a very mm -hmm. predictable pattern of, you know, the scab and then healing. And, um, but 
the psyche also has predictable patterns. And so when we can submit to this process and have somebody witness us wholly and trust us, uh, we see in the sand, in these images, this unfolding process and we can trust it and hold it and guide a person through the darkest times into that, that, that change uh, and this new beginning uh, and the wounding, the gifts and the wounding that are there for them. Uh, and, yeah. and that's what thrills me. I think when I went back for neuropsych, what I learned is that, yes, we have a physical organ called the brain, but we have something very powerful called the psyche that mm -hmm. works hand in hand uh, with that physicality or phys physiology, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that we, that's, that's very powerful. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so it's like taps it, it taps into that spiritual aspect. There's not a tangible, right? We don't, we can't um, use any anatomical uh, words to describe it. <laughs> it's, it's not yeah. a tangible thing, but it's there and it's present and it's and it's you know working with us and working with the physical body, um, and that's what makes therapy. Uh, I think so interesting because it's so different for every person, but yet there are some, there's some predictable patterns there, as you were saying, the process of healing. And it can't be done without, in, in my theoretical orientation, I mean, I, I just don't believe we can make changes until we tap into that source, you know, that spiritual source within us, whatever that is for us. Um, that is a guiding uh, presence for us that we can trust. Uh, and so it is a very spiritual process to, to see the divine in oneself. And I think yeah. when we have images, we can, we can tap into that and we can have proof of it before us. Like, wow, this, this is in you and this is guiding you and it can be trusted. Yeah, that's such a, a beautiful way of expressing that concept, um, the divinity within within oneself. Um, yeah, and there's something I think that happens with um, uh, I I'm not trained in sand play, but I have done a number of trainings in sand tray, and I do try to integrate um, some of that in my work. I I do love that. Um, and there's something about, you know, you're not selecting the miniature, but the miniature is selecting you. <laughs> that kind of happens sometimes. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's amazing how, you know, you, you want to resist sometimes picking something. Maybe it's like, ooh, and nevertheless, it, it ends up in your, in your tray, in your picture, uh, you know, because of this inner pulling, you know. Yeah, mm -hmm. I love that one when that happens in, in therapy and, and personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I know you you shared a little bit about your research uh, working with um, individuals that experience brain injury. And I know um, the other aspect of your research was working with addiction. And I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit about um, how you brought sand play into that work and how uh, that those particular clients responded to this idea of um, sand play work. Um, I, I do a lot of work with that population as an art therapist and I've been fortunate one of the treatment centers that I worked at was on the beach and so we were able to do some stuff in the sand on the beach but you know, a lot comes up. And so I'm just wondering what your experience was as a researcher um, working with this modality in that population. Yeah, so first with the folks with brain injury, I worked at a neuro rehab center as an intern at my doctoral level internship. And they were just wonderful in terms of honoring holistic modalities for folks. They knew that people um, had difficulty with language. They had big meaning and purpose issues, wondering most of them were in some sort of an accident or had some kind of very abrupt injury that changed everything for them. And so that center was a wonderful place to be able to introduce sand play and was just very well received, both as an adjunct to some of the therapies they were doing, uh, you know, and uh, for like 
some had verbal therapies, some had, you know, speech and language therapies and occupational and, and sample was a really helpful way for them to get past some of the stuckness uh, that uh, because of the brain injury, um, they were stuck more and, and it, it expanded their awareness and got them in touch with things that really mattered to them and, and their strengths rather than their deficits. And then in the addictions uh, world, we were uh, you know, facing at that time uh, the opioid crisis in New Mexico. And uh, our organization was tasked with designing an evidence-based program for young people that were dealing with opioid addiction. And so we developed a program and some of the evidence-based practices were what the young people called worksheet therapy, you know, where they'd have to go and do these worksheets and do these relapse prevention skills. And they were having some problems retaining kids in treatment. You know, kids were dropping out, um, not interested. And so I got together with an art therapist friend of mine and we added some components. We kept the evidence-based, you know, uh, method that was accepted. And then we added art, sand play and some wilderness components. And the, the young people just really took off with the art and the sand play because in their words, they could make their own world Nobody was telling them what to do. They could, quote, see for themselves, work out their own problems by seeing what was going on. They also talked about being able to be calmed by these methods. And so unbeknownst to us, the researchers from University of New Mexico came and did an, uh, you know, an evaluation of the program. And we're expecting, you know, the, the people to be talking about this evidence-based part that we were supposed to be promoting. And, uh, and they ended up talking about sand play. And that's why we wrote up that research article. Because that's they, amazing. Yeah, they identified this as one of the most beneficial pieces. And we thought, you know, there's no way to know how much of the sand play played a role in the overall outcomes. But we did know that it did keep them coming back to treatment and they themselves had that positive experience. And so it's just so important to find, find methods that match the people that we're working with mm -hmm. instead of thinking about the method first, you know, uh, but yeah. letting them explore uh, different ways to express themselves. Yeah, when you were describing it, I was thinking about, you know, working with teens and their developmental level and, and how important experiential learning is for them during that time of their lives and like having that autonomy to make those decisions themselves and test themselves. And, you know, so how cool that they were able to recognize that them in the offerings that you are providing in the therapeutic offerings. So cool. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing about uh, sand play and is that it is a self-directed process that's held by the therapist. And so we don't interpret, we don't even, it's always by invitation. So it's very trauma-informed. It's culturally sensitive in that, you know, you don't need language. Uh, you know, you're able to express who you are without judgment, without expectation. Uh, and that's a really important piece of, of the work is that it's always initiated by the client. Uh, we don't say today, we're gonna try to solve this problem in the sand. Instead, we would invite them to make a sand tray if they're interested. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really good place to maybe uh, for folks that are listening who have heard of, of sand tray therapy and have heard of sand play therapy, that maybe this would be a good place um, to kind of describe the differences because there are differences and, um, and if people people aren't super familiar with work in the sand, they might not be aware of those. Would you mind sharing kind of the defining differences between the two? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, uh, and this is something that we will be talking about. We're gonna have a panel at the Expressive Arts Summit in November. And in that panel, we're going to have uh, Linda Holmeyer, myself, Dee Preston, people representing different aspects of how people work in the sand. That's and wonderful. we'll be talking together about uh, the competencies associated with the methods and the different ways of using sand and miniatures. So uh, the short version is that sand play is on the end of the continuum as you know, very self-directed, 
Um, it's a depth-oriented method, and its guiding theories are, are C.G. Jung. Uh, its founder was Dora Kolb, who's a Swiss analyst uh, with children uh, who applied Jung's principles to sampling. And what that means in just as directly as possible is that we do our best to let the client lead and hold the space uh, and watch this unfolding and really honor the unconscious uh, and what's emerging from the unconscious. And then other methods of using sand and miniatures, of course, they also honor the unconscious. And of course, they also involve holding on the part of the therapist, but they may become increasingly uh, more directive. They might have people act out different parts of themselves in the sand play or try to bring awareness to things in the sand uh, that the, the client used. And in the Jungian framework, we tend to allow the process to unfold each time through the series. Um, and in other methods, they use different uh, theoretical orientations, such as adding narratives, uh, you know, dialogues. Uh, they may use different sizes of sand play, trays and different colors of sand. And in, in, uh, in Jungian sand play, we try to stick with the natural color of sand and the same size of the tray. And Dora Kolf, um, the size that we use is akin to the field of vision that you can take in in one look. And it mm. really pulls for that intra-psychic work. So you have the same space every time that you're creating in, and then you can see the changes happening more intra-psychically. Uh, so it's not so big that you're doing kind of gross motor play or so small that you really can't express yourself but it's this size that is, it pulls, the research shows that it pulls for that intrapsychic conflict and resolution process. So mm. those are just some small differences um, between the methods, but they all tap into the use of symbols and, mm -hmm. uh, and the unconscious and conscious processes and, uh, and our expressive arts methods. So I, I think, that was a really great explanation for people that aren't familiar because I think sometimes if you don't know, um, you can people are confused. Why is one called sand play and one called sand tray? And um, so that really helps. And I understand that at the um, November Expressive Therapy Summit, which is going to be in Atlantic City this year, um, that you're going to be teaching um, a class for or training for therapists that haven't had any exposure to uh, sand tray or sand play before. Can you share a little bit about what you're going to be, what your training is going to cover and um, what they might take away from that experience? Yeah, I'm super excited because I'll be doing a Jungian sand play therapy uh, for expressive arts therapists, an introduction to theory and practice. And what that is, is giving folks the fundamentals of sand play, uh, you know, how to conduct a session. I'll have videos and um, I am doing it virtually on November 21st. And so folks can join uh, from all over uh, because it'll be from uh, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern time uh, on a Sunday. Uh, and so hopefully it'll be convenient for folks. It'll be the last day of the summit. Uh, there's a part of it in Atlantic City and then another part of it online. Uh, and so I'll be part of the virtual crowd and uh, or the virtual teachers and hopefully bring some folks to that. But yeah, it's really fun to do the the online. I've been teaching uh, foundations online for some time. And so I've developed a number of experiential exercises. We'll do an embodied symbol study to really understand the power of symbols for change. Uh, we'll be looking at processes of, of folks that so they can see children and adults, what a a process looks like over time, how to start a collection, uh, you know, the categories and, and things to know about uh, sand and all of that stuff. So uh, it, it'll be a lot of fun. Now, it sounds like it will be. Um, I, I love those trainings, the sand trade trainings and getting to play and create your own. Um, it is so much fun. <laughs> People will get a lot out of that. So just to kind of switch gears a little bit, I was wondering if um, you could share a little bit about your success in the, the work, all the things that you've accomplished in your career. 
Um, what do you attribute that longevity and um, like just continued engagement in the profession to? Oh my goodness. Well, the, the method itself, sand play, just lends itself to lifelong learning and, and work with symbols and just a deeper understanding of oneself and others and a deeper connection to the larger whole. So I think that really keeps me um, alive in the work because of the work itself. Uh, and then as a therapist trying to make my way in the world, you know, and, and trying to help others uh, that I mentor to do the same, uh, I'm reminded, you know, years ago, uh, and I don't remember who told me this, I'm so sorry, but I do remember the quote loud and clear because I've lived by this quote and I, I share it with others. And they told me, do what you love, do it well, do it whenever and wherever you can. And sooner or later, someone will pay you to do it. <laughs> and so it's, it's been something that, you know, to find what I loved was important. And then to learn, you know, to really do what I could to do it well, you know, get the training, get the mentoring. Uh, and then I did, did it as often as I could. And so this meant, uh, you know, going to conferences, even if they didn't pay teachers, you know, and presenting at conferences and sharing with organizations that might not have the resources to pay as much as, you know, maybe other organizations do, uh, doing uh, volunteer work. Uh, you know, I, I, we, more recently, we had the volcanic eruption here on the big island of Hawaii and uh, a group of Big Island sand play therapists, we got together and brought sand play to those affected. Uh, and it was a very moving and powerful experience. Um, and not only was it, it, it just, I was compelled, like we were just all compelled. We had to do something. It was happening right here in our yeah. community. But we also were able to interact with other people and that I would not have met otherwise. And, and since that time, more and more people are interested in sand play. And oh, so it's wonderful. I, yeah, there's this, you know, I, to just do what you love and do it often. Uh, and it shows people, I, I do groups at my house of symbol studies. And if three people show up, we still have the group. And now plenty of people come. Now we do some online. Um, but, you know, not to be discouraged, you know, just keep doing what you love, do it whenever and wherever you can. Uh, and eventually people do um, want to hear more and they feel your passion and they ask you to help their friends and themselves. They ask you to teach. Uh, and so little by little, you know, even living in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, <laughs> I've been able to have a, a, an, an international practice in sand play. That's Incredible. I, I think that really is incredible um, and speaks to uh, where we are at, at this day and age and the amazing possibilities for therapists, no matter where they are. Um, can you share a little bit about what you're doing internationally and how you're uh, bringing in students from around the world to work with you? Yes. Um, so with the international work, again, when you present at a conference, different people may uh, express interest in your work, um, want to learn more. And my specialty is trauma, the crossroads of sand play, trauma and neuropsychology. And so, uh, you know, students have gotten together and requested that I do uh, consultation groups or come to their country and uh, train. And so, I'm able to have consultation groups. Uh, well, right now I work with a group in Taiwan that are wonderful. I went out and did some training with them before the pandemic. I have a group in Indonesia and one in Singapore and one in Australia and a group in Russia. And, uh, and what we do is we meet one, each of the groups meets once a month and it's a beautiful process. Uh, you know, we share our work together. We witness each other, we do training. Uh, and we grow in the, in the depth of the work. And I have animal names for my groups and it, 
because of course I'm a sand play therapist, so symbols are important. So the, the Russians are the polar bears and we have the sea turtles in Singapore uh, and the dolphins in, in Taiwan. And, and in the US, I have several groups. We have the goldfinches and and we we you know we look at the symbol itself at the beginning of our process we share the symbol we look at it in our work uh, and we see what changes as a result of interacting with that symbol that becomes our mascot you know and uh and and bonds us together you know mm, very cool very cool so you definitely um have kind of lived that quote. And as a result, um, it sounds like, you know, things just continue to expand and grow in, in your private practice. Um, how, uh, how much time would you say you spend working for yourself independently versus working for, you know, in another institution? Um, I know you do a lot of diverse things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so I do probably at this point, it's about 30% agency based and 70%, uh, you know, work with sand play. Uh, but in that 30% is, is a lot of neat stuff. I, I do some work now with uh, and have been for about eight years with a nature based program uh, called Pacific Quest here on the island. And again, you know, following this do what you love, do it well, whenever and wherever you can. Um, they were also open to bringing sand play in the nature-based treatment. So we have an outdoor sand play, holly, uh, uh, we call it, um, where the students, when they're working in the garden, they can pause and have their therapy uh, in, in the sand play, outdoor sand play space. And it's just been a beautiful adjunct for even nature-based treatment. And we did some research on it and found that when you enhance um, different kinds of treatment, in this case, nature-based treatment with sand play, you can improve your outcomes. And for the average person going through, you know, nature-based treatment, it doesn't make a lot of difference, but for people that come in with high levels of trauma and distress, we found that it makes a critical difference to add some sort of, you know, sand play in this case, or expressive arts to really help them, you know, bring and work on things they don't have words for or not not able to articulate right. uh, and need some extra support to get at and so you know bringing sand play as a trauma-informed method to other uh, residential treatment programs outdoor behavioral health programs um, can also help so i you know it's hard to say what is private what is you know agency based i, I just blend them um, mm. together quite often yeah yeah i love that I love that. I, I, I really love that um, that idea of doing the sand tray outdoors and um, like being outside and pulling from the natural elements that exist in the environment and integrating that into um, the work. I've done like a couple of day retreats out on a private beach here with clients and another colleague we kind of partnered together and we did a lot of that kind of work with the folks that attended and it was it was magical for me I, I was like this is the this is the best day ever yeah, <laughs> and it's so beautiful to yeah. connect with nature and to see ourselves as part of nature and to see the rhythms in ourselves all around us. Mm -hmm. uh, and then to create images with nature, you know, in nature. Very yes. Yeah. And, yeah. and really transformative for, um, for people. And it's so different, I feel like, when you're out outside like that, it's, there's some guard that drops down for people because they're not in that clinical office space. I, I don't know if that's what it is, obviously, because I haven't done any research to really verify, but that's what I suspect it is. There's um, something magical about, you know, sitting on a log and, you know, picking at leaves and uh, as you're talking and feeling the wind in your hair, uh, you know, magical things happen around you, you know, a bird swoops in and, does something just at a time when, you know, maybe things are tense. Uh, I was working with a young girl and, and um, you know, she was very, very uh, disturbed by this news that she had gotten and 
ran toward the water and I was really afraid she was just going to jump in and, and try to swim away. I mean, she was very anxious and needing to just get away. Um, and she stopped at the edge and this fly fish came out of the water and we were both like, did you see that? You know? And it just stopped us both in our tracks. You know, I, had, I was already putting my cell phone down thinking I had to go in after her and, and it was just a beautiful moment. So yeah, nature is our, always a wonderful co-therapist uh, mm. and holder uh, to, to the work that we do. Um, and sand, of course, is nature. And so I, I think as therapists working with natural elements like sand and water and fire, uh, you know, we light candles in sound play. Uh, and, and so to be able to use these elements that have been used for healing for since the beginning of time, sand has been used for healing and, and fire and, and you know, water and, yeah. and to be able to, to give people access to these elements uh, for their own healing uh, is, is amazing. It, it, it brings them back to their, their ancient form of themselves. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier of, of just accessing and uh, that, you know, the unconscious bringing that forward without even realizing, but um, through that, it, it really provides some healing. Um, even if we don't have the words to put into context as to what occurred that brought, a, brought about um, the experience. So it's powerful. Yeah. And to have a nonverbal technique as a, there as a constant companion, I think as a therapist is really helpful. Uh, you know, over the years that, you know, my husband and I founded a nonprofit in, in 1995 called Team Builders. And, and that's where we did the, the work with the young people with the addictions and, uh, and continue to do, to do work. And, um, it, it's just such a blessing to have this opportunity that whatever we're doing with kids and families to have a nonverbal way of helping people communicate. Uh, I, I think as therapists, it's helpful to add this um, to what you already do. If you don't already do art and, and sand play, I think it's a, it's a very powerful modality. Uh, and the research also says that in general, when sand play is added, it can enhance outcomes. Uh, so yeah, something to think about if, if you're a therapist out there, you know, how to, to be comfortable in silence and how to add Im image and symbol, even if you're doing telehealth, um, there are many ways to bring symbolic work into uh, therapy practice. Yeah, very power, very powerful. Um, sometimes as the therapist, um, we can use the symbols and just kind of place them out. And that becomes a point of conversation that can lead the client to begin to pull apart some things that maybe they've been feeling stuck in or having some resistance about. Um, that's always a fun a fun thing, at least in my experience. Oh yeah, the symbols are just alive and they're alive with all these multiple meanings. And sometimes they catch our attention, they bring back memories, they just kind of loosen up our conscious controls and expand things. I, I Even on telehealth, I will notice symbols in a, in a client's, maybe they're wearing a necklace or there's something in their background and just begin to have conversations about, you know, what is that symbol for you? And just that those kinds of conversations can really deepen uh, our understanding of each other and, and dive into something of strength or a spiritual resource or something that, that's there for us to, to pull on. So yeah, symbols are everywhere. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that it's our it's that that language um, that you don't really need the words for, right? It's a substitute for the words. We've Put it out there and it speaks for itself and um, that can be really powerful for people that really don't feel like they have the ability to speak whatever it is that they're they've experienced or um, or they really don't have access to uh, the words for whatever it was that occurred um, which is often the case with early trauma yeah. yeah, many circumstances, you know, with early trauma, as you said, it's hard to find the words. It, 
You know, we know that parts of the brain shut down responsible for speech related to trauma. And we know that it lives very, very low in the nervous system and unconscious uh, mm -hmm. places where, you know, you're not, it's not so easy to articulate a whole big experience like trauma, but also people who over intellectualize, you know, sometimes they rely too heavily on words and dropping into images can be helpful. Children, of course, uh, you know, really benefit from having just things to play with and ways to show you what's happening. Uh, and they get busy very quickly. Um, oh, yes. They're, they're so fun. There's no resistance there. Yes. <laughs> um, unlike some adults. Um, but, you know, I, I think if we can, if we can play with them, um, with the processes that we're introducing them to, that can kind of break the ice and warm them up and allow them to to try it. And I, and I feel like once people try it, once people try the creative arts or expressive arts approaches, they find themselves saying, oh, that was actually more powerful than I really thought it was going to be, uh, which is always Absolutely. fun. Yeah. And, you know, as a therapist to play with our clients, you know, and to, to give them opportunities and permission to play, you know, and to create mm -hmm we know just opens up so many more pathways for change. Uh, and it's fun to be surprised, you know, um, to watch an image unfold, uh, mm -hmm. you know, to go in a direction, just noticing something and, and enhancing, yeah, our understanding of other people just by noticing and letting them create very powerful stuff. I, I really just appreciate this opportunity with expressive arts, you know, to talk to expressive arts therapists in general, because I don't know that we all talk enough you know? <laughs> no, I, I think you're right. You know, when we get together at conferences and events that happens, but then we kind of go off to wherever we are and, and whatever part of the country or, or the world that we're working in. And most of us are kind of working in isolation unless we're fortunate to work in a, an, in a larger like cosmopolitan area where there's a lot of training programs for expressive arts therapies. And then there seems to be more of a community around it. But for, for many of us, we're kind of, you know, really um, trying to pull in, you know, oh my gosh, you do that too. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We have to get together and create that community for ourselves is so important. I found with Zoom, it's been exciting to create these conversations by just saying, we're going to have a half hour on Zoom and talk mm -hmm. about like, be interested in what each other does. And each time I've done this with a friend or with somebody that is a creative person that I've been interested in their work, uh, it's been amazing. Like just talking about your work with someone else with tea or whatever expands like, oh my gosh, I learned that I could do this or ideas come of that, but we have to pause and listen to others that are doing the work we do and then talk about what we do with others as well. Um, mm. And so much comes out of conversations between creative people, <laughs> so much, so but we have to pause to have them. That's so true. That's such a, a beautiful reminder that, you know, you know, your quote earlier, do what you love, do it well, do it often. But we also have to remind ourselves to pause and it's okay to say, I really want to do that, but I actually need to slow down for a moment uh, so that we can keep going. Um, that beautiful reminder. So for individuals that are listening, who want to learn more about you and more about your work, where can they find you? Do you have a website? Does your practice have a website um, where we can direct people to and I can add that information in the show notes? Yes, uh, just LorraineFriedel.com. And uh, it's, yeah, that's my website. And I, I try to keep up with it. Don't always do the best job. I know the events page is broken right now. So I'm working with our webmaster on getting that fixed. Uh, but I have a lot of information about sand play and research and video links uh, and a blog. Uh, and so, yeah, and then sandplay.org, www.sandplay.org. 
uh, has uh, research articles. The Journal of Sample Therapy has open access research articles. So you can click and, and look at different articles, some of which I've written. Uh, yeah, so if you're interested you in so sampling, I love to talk about it. So contact me and, and others who do this work. I think you'll find a very welcoming uh, community that we've been together a long time, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, I just feel like I have lifelong friends in this work. That means a lot. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. They're uh, definitely lifers, right? We connect with our with with our people, and we're aligned, and like never want to let go of them, um, for sure. And lots of I, training opportunities are out there as well now with Zoom. That's so true, and of course. That listeners have two opportunities to train with you at the summit in the fall. Um, one in kind of the panel presentation um, with a variety of therapists that practice uh, with sand in their work in a variety of ways. So you'll be exposed to different methods. And then of course your all day foundations um, of theory and practice and sand play, which is online. So anybody can take that from anywhere the world, which is really amazing. Um, and I understand that you also ha uh, have a gift for listeners, um, which is really exciting. Um, would you care to share about that? Yes. Uh, when you had said you have a gift that you can provide, I immediately thought of giving the link on Film Freeway uh, to the Fire and Sand uh, healing in the wake of the 2018 Kilauea eruption, the documentary film. So it's it's just over a half hour. It's not real long, uh, but it takes viewers on an amazing journey of what happens when you know things get turned upside down, and in this case, by a volcanic eruption, and how communities heal as as we as helpers uh, can heal with each other and with our communities. Uh, and yeah, so it's, it's a, it was something that was a blessing to do and it's a really inspired, it's my only film. Uh, I'm not a filmmaker, but something compelled us to tell this story and we had some great help and uh, I just hope everybody enjoys it. Oh, that's Free. wonderful. And where can they find that, Dr. Yes. Friedel? All they have to do is Google Fire and Sand Film Freeway and uh, they will get to it. Awesome. And I will, I will do that. And I'll put that link in the show notes for people, along with your uh, website, um, the information to uh, the sand play uh, therapy uh, organization, um, the links to uh, the summit where your your trainings um, will be and, and they can learn more information there. And, um, and I know I have um, some links that I'll add to of your work, um, different articles that you've written on the, on the topics that we discussed here today. And I am so grateful for your willingness to share and talk about your journey as a sand play therapist and, um, and your passion. Thank you so much. And Reina, just is so incredible to be part of your vision and in getting the word out to therapists and giving us a way to connect with each other. Uh, so thank you so much uh, for this opportunity. Mm -hmm. I was wondering what I would talk about and you just make it so easy. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. And um, it's been uh, really um, exciting for me to talk to you. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Creative Psychotherapist Podcast. I really hope that um, you're enjoying the voices from the Expressive Therapy Summit, highlighting um, some really amazing therapists and their work and passion. And I really love how Dr. Friedel kind of has interwoven the quote from a mentor of doing what you love and doing it often and doing it well and eventually people will pay you to do it. I just, I love that message 
And I hope that resonates with all of you. Uh, when we, when, when our heart is in the work that we, that we're doing and we're passionate about it, um, it, it really matters. And, um, Again, if you want to check out more of her work, I highly recommend that you do. You can take some of those trainings that she's offering virtually at the summit, summit.expressivemedia.org. And don't forget to check out her award-winning documentary film, Fire and Sand, Healing in the Wake of the Kilauea Eruption. And you can get that by heading over to filmfreeway.com forward slash fire and sand. All right, everybody, take good care. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Creative Psychotherapist. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. For show notes, downloads, and additional resources, head over to the website at www.creativeclinicianscorner.com.